This episode of the Organic BC podcast was funded by the BC Ministry of Agriculture and Food. Hello, this is the Organic BC podcast, and I'm Jordan Marr. In this episode and the one that follows, you'll hear excerpts from a series of conversations I recorded with Steve Meggett and Annalise Group Cavers, the owners of Fresh Valley Farms in Armstrong, BC. Fresh Valley Farms is a certified organic livestock operation that sells grass-fed beef and pastured pork, poultry, and eggs directly to household customers in the Okanagan Valley region. I wanted to talk to Annalise and Steve because of their dedication to a number of practices that are foundational to organic production. Low inputs, rotational grazing, cover cropping. All of these have been identified as practices that more farms will be encouraged to adopt as we try and build a more sustainable food system that contributes less to climate change while making farms more resilient against increasingly unpredictable and extreme weather. This episode will get a summary of the operation and the values that drive Annalise and Steve's decision making. From there, Steve will talk about the pasture management in the operation and Annalise will describe their approach to marketing their meat. In the next episode, we'll learn about cover cropping practices at Fresh Valley Farms some of the vital tools and equipment in their operation, and Steve and Annalise's thoughts on the arrival of the word regenerative in conversations about sustainable agriculture. One more note. For these two episodes, I've included excerpts from three interviews, one with Steve, one with Annalise, and one with Steve and Annalise together. The recording environment was different for each of these, and you'll notice that as we go back and forth among the interviews. That's it for now. I'll talk to you in a bit. Steve Meggett. Annalise Group Cavers, thanks, thanks a lot for, for joining, joining us on the Organic BC Podcast. Yeah, Glad to be, to be here. I thought I'd ask you to just summarize the farm, what it does, what it focuses on. Yeah, so Fresh Valley Farms, I started it about 10 years ago by myself. I wasn't with Annalise at the time, and I just started raising um, meat animals. I, w- I wasn't certified organic. I started with chickens. We had beef on the farm. Uh, I got one sow, so I had a little bit of pork to sell to start with. And I just started direct marketing. And right off the bat, um, I decided to start kind of a CSA, like a modified CSA box program for, for meat uh, that we'd run year round. And that was that was pretty early on because I didn't really like doing marketing. I wanted to figure out a way to do it better than farmers markets um, so we started that pretty early we call it the homesteader box program and it's been running for i'm gonna say seven years now annalise might correct me on that we operate on two quarter sections um, one of them has been in steve's family for 100 years this year it's the farm centennial um, we produce nutrient rich uh, protein and distribute it throughout the north and central Okanagan and beyond. People come up from South Okanagan, from Revelstoke. Um, We have about 2,000 customers at this point who order sporadically and we're delivering maybe 300 orders a month, um, give or take, depending on the time of year. So we have have a small cow-calf. We're kind of transitioning away from cow-calf production. Um, The goal is to finish out about 40 or 50 a year, going up to about 100. Historically, we've done kind of between 100 and 120 hogs a year, as well as um, our 2,000 permitted chickens, because we're a non-quota producer, and up to 300 turkeys. We've only done that for the past 
four years. And then this is the first year that we've also sold lamb from Grassy Gnome. So we haven't been producing it ourselves, but we just started selling grass-fed lamb. I'd like to, I'd like to get into just your, your own values around farming, right? And, and so why, why, did this be, why did this almost from the outset or from the outset become an organic operation focused on livestock that were integrated on, on pasture? Um, well, my dad's, you know, history of growing grain on the farm, uh, you know, he only ever grew grain organically because, you know, there's really no point in growing grain on a tiny piece of land conventionally like in selling it for $200 a ton or $100 a ton it would have been back then like so he needed to get the premium so he you know he he was not really um like an I he didn't I wouldn't say he identified as an organic farmer but it just made sense and um and just the holistic systems of organic farming made more sense than the chemical systems of organic farming I think to all of us um and yeah, I mean, I guess it just comes down to the way you think, right? Like I, I, I was all questioning the conventional systems of everything always. So when I started farming, I mean, it's just kind of made a lot more sense to me to do things in a, a more, um, in a, a, with a longer term approach to productivity, I guess, like, and, and trying to to work within natural systems that that's always just appealed to me i think so can you describe take a shot at describing that long-term approach and the long-term goal like if you think about the farm running like as beautifully as you can can make it run what does that look like can you just summarize how all the practices fit together and 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 the philosophy behind it i guess to me the philosophy is that using fossil fuels to run our current society is absolutely foolish. Um, I think we have enough energy from the sun to, to, to operate. And I, I think that it, I would like to demonstrate that we can do it on our little plot of land um, by farming within our current energy supply from the sun. I just think we need to get off the whole oil train and we need to move to I guess I don't like the term sustainable because I think it's been overused and, and doesn't mean a lot now, but it, it actually on a sustainable energy course as a civilization. So I think to me, the, the goal is to produce food without a lot of inputs, pretty much. End of story. Okay, right. so then could you could you give some examples? Take us onto yeah. your farm. What are you doing on your yeah. farm to, 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 to get to where that goes? Um, well, for starters, we don't use nitrogen fertilizer. I mean, that's, that's the basis of organic farming to me is that we need to do it without synthetic nitrogen. Um, and I would like to do that with nitrogen that, or inputs that we produce using animal agriculture because I think that's part of a, a closed-loop system like where you know, grass is incredible at collecting energy from the sun. It's what it does. It's, it's what it's, you know, nature has designed it to do. It, it's, it's a big solar panel, right? So grass doesn't live out its true life cycle on its own. It needs to be cut or it needs to be eaten or, you know, it, it needs to be stomped um, to, to function as a grass. And I think that's the goal is to, to just have these 
great big solar collectors that are functioning as they're supposed to be. The grass, which, you mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. which requires some kind of animal, some kind of megafauna. Um, so that's that's the goal is just to to look at how how these ecosystems work naturally. And I'm I mean we live in BC, like a natural ecosystem in BC is treed, but this is what we've got. So um, we're going to plant grass on it and, and other, other um, plants that function similar to grass or, or you know, alfalfas and such. And, uh, and we're going to use animals to make it grow the way it's supposed to and, and build soil because that's what it did for the last few millennia or whatever um, on this continent. And I want to, I want to do, um, do more of that. So I think animals are necessary Okay, and, and I want to be clear at this point that in the context of Fresh Valley Farms yeah. and raising beef cattle, we're not talking about range. You don't have no. you don't have rangeland on what we might call natural grassland ecosystems. This is all a managed farm environment on what everyone would look at and, and see as a farm field, right? As as pasture and, and croplands. And so you're just talking about managing the livestock through a rotation on your various lands as you attempt to maximize their health and their life while you are trying to manage grass and other crops in a way that is what the goal being to 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 take care of the soil and to produce food in a way that is less reliant on input i guess the other factor is not just the the farmed animals but it's the entire ecosystem that we're farming in right like you know we want there to be a balanced ecosystem which requires the bugs and the predators for those bugs to keep those those ecosystems within balance and um and i think that the way we manage needs to um allow for those ecosystems to function right so it means yes we're, I know it's not it, it's not a natural ecosystem. I'm not pretending this is natural, but I'm just trying to to distribute the nutrients that the cattle and the chickens and the pigs give me while I produce them in a way that that builds up this ecosystem faster. When your operation is running how you really want it to run, just give us a sense of what that looks like. I, I think that's hard to answer in like any kind of a sound bite. <laughs> it's a very uh, it's complicated, but I mean, the idea is to keep motion going on the farm. I mean, everything is moving um, across the farm, so you don't have nutrients piling up in one place. And we don't always do that. Like, I've, I've found it very difficult to do with pigs, but um, it, I just can't really justify the labor inputs that it, keeps, that, that it takes to keep pigs moving. But with the cattle, we're just we're rotating as fast as the grass is growing, Usually it's not perfect, you know, grass bolts and then it go, you know, it sets seed and then the cows won't eat it. And then sometimes you might even have to mow it. But the goal is to keep everything moving in tune with the season and as it develops. So, um, you know, if it's if the grass is growing fast, we're moving cattle across it as as quick as we can. Um, You know, even if that means they're just stomping a lot of it down, like that's fine. We just want to keep up to that grass growth and. Um, and then with the chickens, um, the logistics of chickens and, and turkeys and rotating them properly have been very challenging um, f- to, to make that a, a, a net 
gain to the pasture you know between moving nutrients around the 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 farmed field and moving the cattle across everything including the some of the forests and whatnot um that's really the main goal and we just just want to keep that up and and you know as as you know like it looks good on paper but you know as as you get busy and and as disasters pop up as they always do now um you get behind and it's hard to keep up but Annalise what about I want to I want to talk a little bit about your values we can take this in many different directions but I'm just wondering like what your what what your motivations are for farming what your values around farming are what your philosophy is you can start anywhere you want hmm I mean in terms of like I already talked about I guess I mentioned morality in one way but in terms of having a job in society that you can feel good about I feel like food production is one of the most sort of honorable careers that a person can choose. You're really, you're nourishing your community, you're strengthening food systems. Um, all of these things are important. And at the same time, you're a steward of whatever land that you're farming and that your livestock are in or your crops are on. And I just, it's exciting. To, you're always learning. Things are always changing. There are new challenges. I have found that really difficult in terms of level of stress and anxiety in the past few years but it's it's definitely it's never boring and it's always you can take pride in what you're doing if you're doing a good job and if you have a positive enough outlook that you can kind of look past some of those challenges or look at um yeah potential solutions or how you could do things differently in the coming seasons how you can make positive changes i don't know i just yeah i think I think I forgot the question. No, no, you answered <laughs> part of it. I also want to know. I also want to know just like whether being uh, having you know raising animals organically on pasture is somewhat incidental, or if it's important to you personally in terms of your farming values. Yeah, I would say it is very important. I think especially now, like in conversations where um, regenerative agriculture is kind of at the forefront of a lot of conversations and. I think that the biggest gap in terms of production models or in terms of management styles is between industrial animal agriculture and organic regenerative animal animal agriculture. I think, I mean, it's where you can kind of where we can take the biggest positive step, I think, away from the status quo or the mainstream way of doing things like the biggest gulf between two two systems like yeah. if you compare that to how i'd be producing my salad greens and or a how, and a much larger call it industrial or or uh, or very very large farm would be doing them yeah or even or like strawberries would be a good example yeah, yeah. so i think um it, it that has become a lot more important to me in a lot of ways i think i could have seen myself participating in lots of different agricultural systems and this is the one that i've developed with my partner in life and and business okay all right i am gonna ask one more follow-up question then so so on your operation what what do you consider um in terms of production on the production side what's your greatest pride or achievement what's working the best a beef yeah you know and that doesn't necessarily reflect in the financials um unfortunately and that's just reality it's 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 the passion project um it's the thing i can see re doing more good for the land than than um 
bad <laughs> than you know uh, detracting from it so i i think beef is always going to be the best the biggest success i mean it's it's a huge every year is a big learning experience and we learn stuff every year um, and we're not doing it perfect by any means but um, just seeing the way we can utilize grass growing without involving a tractor or without involving any inputs whatsoever and we're we're making food that way and the cow is doing the work and we're not doing the work that's the win right right so so, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm getting that that's because your your beef is 100 percent grass-fed yeah. with few exceptions right no exceptions. exceptions so so i mean when you describe your your values and your goals at the outset it's it's about it's essentially comes down to grass management right yeah. so doesn't it stand to reason then that that you know, you already mentioned that, that there's been challenges with the pastured birds mm -hmm. and the pastured pork. Both of those require a lot of grain. Mm -hmm. So um, is it fair to say that you find it less compelling, this notion of integrating these different livestock for the ecosystem values than you do the reality of selling? I have to imagine that having more variety of meat, like, is that the main motivation meat? to keep doing pork and poultry? Yes. You know, if you're asking somebody to drive somewhere to pick up stuff from a central location it's good for them to be able to get everything they need rather than having to go to two two uh, two of those pickup locations you know that's they don't always have the time for doing you know running around picking up from random farmers in the parking lot so i think that um that model of being the one-stop shop has really served us well and and we're hesitant to give up any of the options because that sort of detracts from the whole business no, it makes total right. sense. But yeah. so, so is that to say then, yeah. if you didn't have to also be thinking about running a business mm -hmm. and you were really truly able to completely prioritize those ecosystem goals of low input livestock agriculture in that, in that hypothetical situation, which doesn't exist, would you just, would you just do beef? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Um, we, I would, I would be looking at lamb right away if it weren't for the fact that we just don't really want to run guardian dogs where we are. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not really a dog trainer type person, so I don't believe I would have the ability to train one well enough to like bite the neighbors, not, not bite the neighbors, mm -hmm. I should say. <laughs> um, so we would be doing lamb. I think that that's an, an incredible, um, way to, to have beef and, or cows and lambs or sheep um together i think that would be the best or in in separate rotations likely but um so you'd love to, you'd love in a perfect world yeah. to run a ruminant operation yeah right yeah right i believe in the the power of the ruminant okay and, grass. and so let's create another hypothetical though in a hypothetical where you are pretty satisfied with your ability to move your pigs and move your chickens in a way that you think is benefiting the pasture are you still hung up on importing the grain is that is that an issue for you no. in terms of your values no it's not and i i do I, that's what i like about the organics um label or the organic certification is that i can trust most of the time that that grain is coming from a, a reasonably good operation um i think it could be improved of course and i really don't like the fact that a lot of the soy ends up coming from overseas but you know our our individual situation right now with pete's feeds in in armstrong or stall machine right across the valley from us i think it's fantastic i i really 
you know, I, I'll raise more meat because he's there, right? Mm-hmm. If it was coming from Canadian Organics and I have no idea what they're doing or from, from Bradner and I have no idea what they're doing, I might do less, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, yeah, it's definitely important that I know where it's coming from and I wouldn't do it if it wasn't organic. Right, and yeah. I guess I guess even though it's more input dependent, you're still, it has to feel good that you're providing an alternative for people mm-hmm. who would otherwise might be getting the meat produced where perhaps the animal welfare isn't what it is on your farm or yeah. where the providence of the grain is not what, what, what you've just described. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a lot of, um, a lot of the organics work we want to do in the future or, you know, working with BC organic BC and, and, and other organic movements is that we want people to recognize the value of that, um, and right now they don't even have that option in most grocery stores. Like there is no organic option for pork anywhere. Mm-hmm. So part of the motivation to do it is just to, to give them that option. I don't really want to be doing it, but I, I think it's important that they, they look at if they're going to buy everything organic and then, and then choose to buy conventional pork, well, you're that the impact of that actually outweighs the impact of all of the vegetables that you're buying organically in terms of the footprint on the land right mm-hmm. um and I, I don't know if i have to go into the detail of why that is um for this audience but i think you all understand that um that it takes a lot of land to produce a little bit of grain and a pig eats like in terms of dry matter to wet matter pork it eats four times the dry matter to mm. produce one times the wet matter of pork, right? So um, that is, that's a, um, a big impact. And I think people need to be more aware of that. Right. I, I wanted to ask you about pasture management and I'm going to let you start by just taking that in any direction you want to go. Okay. Like, so what is your, what is, can you, can you give us a sense of your approach to, to management of pasture and, and land on your farm? Yeah. So, so being on, um, you know, there's not a lot of, prime agricultural land in our area um we're in a pretty pretty dense pocket of it as far as bc goes but it's still pretty pretty uh, marginal land that we're on so we need to um we need to crop it so all of that premium land we have to be able to cut when we have to cut it um so I don't put up like cells. You'll see a lot of a lot of rangeland and such, or or really marginal pasture land. Um, they're going to put up cells that are permanent fences. Kind of, they might be electric or they might not, but they're going to be they're they're going to be a square or whatever with gates. And then you open a gate and the cows go in, and then and then you open the next gate and the cows move over. And that would be how a lot of rotations go. But because we have to crop everything um, that that is flat agricultural land, uh, we we set it up in a way that's just got perimeter fencing on like the biggest patch that we can, and then we use uh, what we um, well now we use the tumble wheel to fence off strips of that, and then we will we'll do a lead fence where the cattle are getting their fresh fresh grass. And then we'll have a, a back fence to keep them from taking the, the second bite. As soon as grass starts to regrow, the cows shouldn't get a second bite of that plant. Because, because it's not good for the grass. It's not good for the grass. Yeah. 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 And that's so so that's the the basis of that is just to keep them uh, eating fresh grass and then fencing them off of the new growth. And that's 
that's all we do and and we just um you know the better the more gates you have in those perimeter fences like for us that's what makes a, a better system is to have more gates so that they're not walking over the same spot repeatedly so mm-hmm. if you have if you have a gate every like 100 feet on that perimeter fence on one side then you can really keep them off every every bit of it right you don't have to leave a, an access way on your prime land right okay yeah um I'm, i i need you to clarify something for me you said okay. you 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 have relatively marginal land so you have to crop can you can yeah. you expand on that yeah, yeah. so sorry i mean we have to crop because two reasons um this is canada and we have to feed cows in the winter time mm-hmm. so where is that going to come from and you know it, there is there's a world where maybe we buy all of our hay someday but right now we have to make some of it and and we're always we always get a, a flush of growth in the spring that we're never going to be able to match with our stocking density. Mm-hmm. So we have to have some way of dealing with that 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 bolt of spring growth, or else the cows wouldn't get anything off that pasture for the rest of the year, really. Mm-hmm. So we have to be able to crop that. But furthermore, we have to be able to crop because we're in the Okanagan, where it doesn't stay frozen all winter, right? So we we if we were to do something like try to swath graze or um stockpile forage it would be mushy gross stuff that gets like pushed down against the ground and then rots for the season right so so we have to be able to feed hay here unfortunately okay and is that i mean when we talk about pasture management with your cows is that all there is to it so can you No, I mean, there's, there's never all there is to it. Um, water, you need to keep water close by. The closer it is, the better. So the more water points we put on the farm, the better. Um, and I guess, like, I, I really, in one of my favorite um, podcasts I listened, listened to recently was with Fred Prevenza, who, who does a lot of stuff on, on uh, ruminant nutrition. And, and it made me, like, I've always had this kind of gut feeling that if a cow can access the the forest and the pasture at the same time, they're going to be healthier because they can just figure out their... Where they need to be. Yeah, and they can... I mean, there's lots of reasons. They can get into the shade. They can. They just They just seem happier generally, but they can also browse and, and balance their diet. So if you have like... You know, we try to diversify our pastures, but sometimes it's just, you know, just orchard grass or whatever. Like they have one grass. I mean, that's not going to be enough to balance their diet. Mm-hmm. So... Having uh, with our system, the goal, I guess, would be to have like a large rotation on everything that's not cropland, like maybe on a um, hundred acres of forested kind of pasture land. We're going to divide that into four quadrants or something. Mm-hmm. And then we can we can have them have a, a big rotation on that section and then the little rotations or strip grazing on everything that's um that's being cropped and pastured so sorry and are those two would those two ha- be happening simultaneously simultaneously yeah so so you hear here you've just got a large um pasture like just pasture yeah right you've you, you've you got all those in little mini blocks yeah. right many yeah but but somehow built in a way that they can still go and access a quadrant, uh, like a, a yeah. one one quarter of some more forested yeah. pasture land. Yeah, and yeah. we're going to be also, like I just got a no-till, a, a little tiny six-foot no-till drill this year, so we're going to be trying to improve 
all of that land, whether it's cropland or not cropland. If I can get a drill on it, I'm going to be trying to get as many species as possible growing on those spots. So, you know, in the more the more diversity and the more growth that I'm getting on somewhere, I might decide that that's going to have a, a, a you know a paddock or something that I can that I can fence off so that I can control the growth on that. But then a lot of the forested area they're going to have like longer access to, just because that's just the way we're doing it now and i think i think it's good for the cattle i don't know if it's good for the overall ecosystem i don't know you know if that's going to be detrimental but this is all just like learning experience like i don't think that the cows aren't spending a lot of the time up in the forest where there's no grass but they do go up there and they they browse on things and so whether that's a net benefit that's that's part of the big experiment we're doing we we don't know but we're, we're going to keep an eye on it and we we certainly just like fence off areas that we we keep as a like cattle can't get on it just because we we value that too highly as just a a a natural quote natural habitat um probably third cut forest but (laughs) but it's it it seems fairly natural and we really value that so we try to keep the cattle off of it and we keep them out of certain sections of the creek where we don't want them to impact that but um yeah so it's just a it's a mishmash (laughs) really and, and we're trying to do our best to, to keep it all functioning for nature and for the cattle. Like, can you, can you just draw us a bit of a p- mental picture of like, okay, so on, on, on this parcel I live on, we've got this many acres. And yeah. so typically it's, and it's got a perimeter fence. Yeah. It's a bit tricky. I can try, I can take another stab at it. Like mm-hmm. we're okay. So, so on my dad's property, we'll, we're always looking at, you know, we have it broken up into, say, we roughly four different fields. You know, the cattle are going to be r- going across one of those fields in in the springtime as fast as we can get them to go. And then the first opportunity we have to cut hay, we're going to cut everything else likely. Um, because of that flush that's yep, come up in the yep, spring. Because the started. earliest you cut it, the better, you know the best like you, you the earlier you cut it the better the quality of the hay it's is going to be mm-hmm. really um and we actually do some um some silage bales i've got a an automated wrapper i really like using um <laughs> i'm not big on the plastic use but i i do see a lot of value in using that plastic so mm-hmm. we, we're, we're doing it now um and it's it's amazing like you can take a first cut rank first cut crop that is almost bedding and cut that um and put it up as fairly wet silage bales and the cattle still like it Mm -hmm. and as hay that same crop is they eat maybe right now this is this is a good example this year they're eating about 50 percent of those Mm -hmm. bales if that (laughs) the rest they just pull it out or whatever we just have to fork it through through the feeder because they're just not touching it so yeah yeah, so it's it's been amazing being able to make silage. But anyhow, uh, off topic. Um, so that's that's the first portion of the year, and then yeah. we're doing the same thing at the other parcel, parcel, and the rent and the new lease property. Um, same concept. Uh, we've got a little bit more like um, what would we call it? Like non-tamed farmland, not non-developed farmland over there. So that's that's going to be interesting. I don't. I don't really know exactly what how that rotation is going to look. It's been a bit weird the first 
two years being we had the driest year in recorded history and then the wettest spring in recorded history so those are my two experiences of of grazing this land (laughs) so um it'll be interesting to see if we ever get a a normal season what that would look like um but yeah it's, it's the same variation of that we're grazing something and then we cut everything um and then the next you know and then the cattle are just in rotation for the rest of that season so so then quite often i'll have like the cattle halfway across a big field and then I'm going to say, okay, I got to cut this field. So we're going to stop grazing that field and I'm going to cut the rest of it um, and then move them on to somewhere else. So, and it's just more of that throughout the season until the fall. And usually in the fall, we would like to make silage, but if it doesn't rain all summer, then we don't actually have enough left over to make any silage in the fall. So we usually just end up grazing off every last bit of it. And, and and to hell with this whole idea that grazing alfalfa too late in the season will will set it back we just do it and it's it's been fine honestly mm-hmm. like we're not looking for straight alfalfa stands so what generally happens is the alfalfa population will go down a little bit but if if we seed alfalfa at a high enough rate to begin with it's not really a big deal right so yeah. okay uh briefly can you talk about uh, let's just focus on the broiler chickens because I know that you're, you've got them on pasture in the main season. Let's pretend next season is not one where there's avian influenza concerns that might change your approach. Um, how are they integrated? Would you call it integrated with the, the cattle or is it kind of, are they in their own rotation? No, they're in their own rotation. It's really hard to keep them moving anywhere near as fast as the cattle like we're you know the cattle might go over a pasture um, four times in a season right Mm -hmm. and the chickens they only ever go over one spot once in a season and it's more like once in a decade yeah (laughs) the way we do it now i would love to rotate them more and that that's actually an interesting um point is that we're we've applied for funding I, i doubt we'll get it but we might get it um, for one of these these Rova barns built by U, UKKO, however you say that, Robotics, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Canadian company that's building a robotic pasture housing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, I don't know, it's $40,000 for the one we want and it's not, and we'd need two of those. Oh. So it's, uh, it's an interesting technology, but just like electric tractors right now, it's in its infancy and, and I don't know um, if we're quite ready to be the early adopters on that. And so, but, would would this barn be just always moving extremely slowly? Yes. So it's a it's a all four corners of this I think thirty by thirty barn or something like that are robotic wheels mm-hmm. that turn and drive, and then you have um, solar panels on the roof, and that's that's all it needs to move it. So that's that that would be solving two main problems. Um, one is that we're always driving a tractor over the the field, which is not good yeah right you know delivering the feed and moving the tent we're, we're driving tractors around the field and i don't like that i don't like the compaction and it's not it's not good for the grass yeah. yeah um so that would solve that problem but also just the the covering more ground efficiently and knowing if that we've like because it's like i say it's a once in a decade rotation like Mm -hmm. it's really hard to keep track of where you've been and and you know and not go over the same spot twice because i find that's like especially with the plant populations um 
it's hard to maintain the diversity you want when you're putting chickens over something especially if you go over it twice right because mm-hmm. they they're really hard on on a lot of those things like the second bite principle is out the window i don't know it seems like we're not quite moving them fast enough to not have them eat that second little um sprout that comes up right like it, you you think you, you cut an alfalfa plant and the next growth is all these little shoots that come mm-hmm. off and a chicken's really good at getting right in there and getting every single one of those last little you know but, leaves well steve look i i'm not a livestock farmer so this yeah. might be a naive question but i i really want to ask it though i mean if we think of like if if i have I have it roughly right. Someone like Joel Salatin is a really big promoter of like, move the birds with the livestock. Like yeah, yeah. they're meant to be integrated, but you're, that's, you're suggesting that's really hard to do. Yeah. Logistically. I don't, I don't think I know anybody who does that. Like other than Joel Salatin. I don't think he, he, he has the egg mobile things. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where you're talking about following cattle. Mm-hmm. The idea that they're eating all the grubs in mm-hmm. the pats or something. But honestly, I'm not a big follower and, and I don't, I don't know if that's really the way to go because I mean, we want the bugs and the pets. Like that's part of the the ecosystem service that those do is you know they those those uh those bugs are what help integrate the the nutrient into more soil and not right. just the one spot where it is. So and he, I've I've heard I guess they break it up. I've never I've never experimented with that. Okay. So it it may or may not work. But um yeah it's it's just a such a different time frame that we don't really consider it following the cattle that right yeah cool okay so annalise i want to spend a good part of our time together talking about marketing because you that is your main focus and you're very good at it and it's really the way you and steve have like built your business around your marketing has been really crucial i think to your success arguably to summarize the vast majority of what you sell is frozen and is it fair to say, other than the whole chickens, which are very popular, and the whole turkeys, the vast majority of what you sell are cuts of frozen yeah. beef, pork, and chicken? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have sold only like a few halves of animals um, in the past years. And typically they've been grinder cows, which we had a few more of than we were able to sell by the cut. But yeah, everything we sell by the, by the cut. Custom orders, people place kind of an order a month. They're filling their freezer with a variety of things, with pork, chicken, and beef. Okay, so maybe now for that, right now I can ask you then, like, can you summarize your philosophy or approach to marketing meat? So I would say we have always said to people, eat a moderate amount of better meat. Like you, we don't need to be eating, consuming the amount of of meat that of meat protein that people have typically. Um, so. Yeah, I see no problem with consuming a little bit less and consuming a much better quality. That being said, we have lots of consumers, lots of eaters who purchase from us who eat a lot of meat and they support our business and we're thankful that they do. But yeah, in terms of our primary kind of marketing narrative, I would say we really we really strive for kind of maximal transparency with our customers. So we um, have in the past been really open to farm tours. We had to kind of curtail that um, during avian influenza this past year. Biosecurity was an issue and we wanted to adhere to those rules. But but yeah, a lot of our consumers will come and visit the farm and have a look around and see how things are done in order to make the choice to, to purchase from us. And we really encourage that. And we do 
kind of encourage or support that level of transparency through our newsletters and the amount of detail that we provide um, and through social media as well. Although I would say the the reach of social media, it's definitely not all of our customers who are kind of following us or um, paying attention. And we also have always kind of valued or seen a strength in the diversity of products that we offer to our customers and the fact that we offer them year round. So we have uh, we try and have pork, chicken, and beef available all year. And, and yeah, we, we've offered homesteader boxes, so kind of a CSA-style subscription program that has been really popular in the past. Now it only makes up a portion of our sales. More sales are going to just custom um, orders, so people ordering whatever they want. But, um, but yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of farms struggle with maybe storage space, a lot of livestock farms. So they may be only working out of chest freezers. So as soon as they have a whole bunch of meat come in from a butcher or a slaughterhouse, they have to sell it as fast as possible. We have quite a bit of freezer space. And, um, and so we try and we try to have the diversity that people can shop with us all year round, that it's not exclusively people who have a large chest freezer where they can store all of their own meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also understand that while I would, I love to encourage people to eat seasonally and our consumers are fairly flexible, there are people who still just want to order chicken. And so we, yeah, I mean, we still sell to them, obviously, but we put limits on products frequently if they're really popular to encourage them to try other things also. Like you can only buy five boneless chicken breasts at a time. So I could only buy one whole chicken recently. What it encouraged me to do was swear when I was on your website, but I, I totally get it. It's, it's a dear product. You don't have it in stock. So you've got to, you've got to allow, spread the totally. love around. Yeah. 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 It does nothing for us if we just sell all of our whole chickens and then we're sold out for months. All of those customers who would come to us for a whole chicken and maybe five packs of ground beef, they just have to go elsewhere. They, I mean, they don't have to, but I think that's the choice that people make. It's not a choice of better meat or no meat for most consumers. It's a choice of better meat or grocery store meat. Yeah. So you 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 generally operate your so you 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 sell order you pre-sell orders right on a cycle. People make their orders and then you have you have pickup here at the farm and then you have distribution points that you have. Let's see see uh, you have Salmon Arm, Vernon. Kelowna, correct? Correct. Okay, so how often are you at those? I mean, let's just choose Vernon and Kelowna since that's kind of your main... Twice a month. Twice a month. Yeah, twice a month there, twice a month. Well, generally every second week in Salmon Arm, so Mm -hmm. it works out to about twice a month. And then once a week on the farm. Okay, and uh, no farmer's markets currently, right? Well, the the Salmon Arm pickup is technically a farmer's market. It's the all-organic farmer's market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's a shorter farmer's market. So okay. we find it more tolerable. And then so just like in a nutshell, how does it work? Like I am a customer. So tell me how how I behave, like how it works with me as a customer. Right. So we have people can sign up and create an account on our website. Um, we use uh, an e-commerce site that is um, it is created directly for pasture raised meats by a uh, pasture raised meat farm in the States. It's called Gray's Cart and we've been pretty happy with it. It is uh, it's getting a little bit expensive per month, but it is still worth it I think um, so people create a they create an account and so far we haven't been doing any card payments so it's just kind of basic 
information, phone number, address to create your customer account. And then you place an order and you choose your pickup location and that's it. Then you get an order confirmation once you've once you've hit confirm on your order and you get an order packed email once we've packed your order the day before delivery. Mm -hmm. And then generally people will pay us by e-transfer, which we found it's been good enough. There's, there's some issues with that, but, or by cash or check at pickup and it's, yeah, it's a pretty good system. Pretty. Like, like it runs pretty smoothly overall. It runs smoothly and I find it really like legible for customers. We don't get a lot of um, people saying that they're unable to navigate it. You know, there's the rare customer who just is likely older, doesn't like to purchase things online. And then we accommodate that and we'll take, we'll take orders over the phone, but we, we try and do that less and less. We try and streamline things into our systems and we've become better at kind of valuing our time and seeing what we're able to, yeah, what we're able to do, where to create bound, where to create boundaries between business and and inconvenience, I guess. Or what about so? So, to my knowledge, you don't take credit card, and I'm wondering if you've ever felt like you should be in terms of like increasing sales. Like, have you ever felt the the desire to consider it? Um, really, no. Like the only times we've ever felt that is just because it would actually it would eliminate a little bit of work, probably in terms of reconciling invoices. Um every once in a while someone pays us before their order is actually packed so then they either over or underpay us which um, prompts an extra email from us to them saying please don't e-transfer before you've gotten your order packed email but other than that like that inconvenience is pretty minor when you compare it with three percent of our total sales and so that and you feel that would matter to to yeah. have to pay that extra three percent or tack on an extra three percent to your prices across the yeah world. either one of those like we have always had a hard time increasing our prices. We're getting better at it just because we've been asked several times by people who have sort of a better knowledge of business than us. If Do you want your business to survive? Do your customers want your business to continue to exist? If so, then you have to increase your prices. Mm -hmm. So we have done that a couple of times um, in the past year. But still, that extra 3% is... Um, it's substantial when you're talking about the volume of sales that we're doing mm -hmm. each year. So, yeah, we, we've considered it and we still haven't gone there. Also, like, I don't know how realistic or how, yeah, true this is, but I, I have kind of security concerns. Like, I like being able to tell people, you can create an account. We're not saving any credit card credit information. Card. Um, I like not being responsible for people's credit card information. Yeah. So... Okay, so I want to kind of stay on prices for a second. So earlier, when we were talking about values, you talked about feeling good about producing meat in the context of meat being compared to other food, like having the greatest gulf in terms of the maybe, let me just stick with one aspect of that, environmental effects of how industrial meat is produced and how you're producing meat. You know, that feels good and important. What comes along with that is like the efficiency difference or the price difference, like that big gulf implies a huge price difference. And at least for a lot of meats, especially when we talk about cuts, there, there is a huge price difference. And so I don't know where you want to take that or where we can take that. I just like, is it, a, is it, do you struggle, even though you know what it costs to produce, do you struggle with the fact that like your meat's expensive? 
It's not overpriced, I would argue, but it's expensive. Yeah, I I have struggled with it more in the past. I think that when it was just Steve and I running this business, like this is the first year, you know, 2022, this past year was really the first year that we had employees, kind of full-time employees or employees in any context on the farm. I really felt like in the past when we when it was just us working that we didn't deserve to increase our prices that we were doing fine you know we were living extremely frugally and just kind of scraping by and anytime we had an unforeseen cost it was really kind of agonizing for me anyways i'm like a bit more of a number cruncher and i just it would really stress me out we didn't really have a contingency fund but now we have employees and I value those employees and I want them to have a good quality of life and I want to retain those employees. I want to have a good relationship with them. So I want to pay them a living wage. And in order to pay them a living wage, I have to be willing to charge what our meat is worth <laughs> to customers. That is the only way that that is possible. So, so no, I don't think that our... Like, I, I don't worry about our meat being expensive anymore because I want to be able to offer pay increases to, the, to these employees. Mm. I think that a lot of our consumers see the value in those living wages being paid as well as the, um, you know, less environmental externalities than the industrial food system, which is another thing that we offer and, you know, strive to um, strive to improve always and yet you must feel the ceiling the price ceiling at least a little bit i was going to make a joke about that we farmers often gaslight ourselves about like feeling guilty about our prices even though we simultaneously know we're not making very much but i suggest that you must feel a bit of pressure because i've talked to you just privately about the totally. living you make and and i i at the same time that that you're feel, you say you're feeling comfortable with having the prices to pay your employees I have to imagine you would love another 5% over top of everything you're charging right now. And you would still feel like you're not, you know, you're not fully compensated the way that you'd like to be. I mean, yeah, fully compensated is so, uh, I find it really difficult to tease out for myself what that means. Mm -hmm. Like when I, if I compare it to any other career, yeah, of course, we don't, we're not fully compensated for the work that we do or even kind of the caliber of work that we do. Um, I write a lot of grants on the farm. We get a lot of grant income. If I were writing grants for a business that wasn't a farm, you know, I, I would be earning a lot more money. But it, yeah, I, 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 you're right. I do find it really difficult to determine what a fair, what a fair price is. And kind of in reverse I find it difficult to decide what a fair amount of money is for us to make um yeah I mean we have I think we have goals in terms of um owning our own farmland like owning a property this is family land but we don't own it we don't have equity in that and so I think that working towards those goals is a more finite way for me to determine what is what a fair amount of money it is for us to make um and then yeah we have to decide what our prices have to be in order to achieve those goals 
But so far, have you seen your customers mostly rolling with any price increases you've had to do because of your employees or just because of inflation? Yes, we have made some changes to our box program. Like we we were offering, offering a really kind of a generous um, discount on the box program to keep people purchasing month to month. And we decided that that wasn't, it wasn't feasible. Like it wasn't tenable for us anymore. And so we did decrease that and we did see some unsubscribe like on people unsubscribe from that program but we still have a long waiting list for that program so yeah generally plus the a la carte ordering is going quite well right the the people who don't subscribe they just make yeah i mean it's made up it's increased to the point where where we felt that that was uh possible to potentially even reformat the the subscription program so that's a thought going forward. But yeah, generally I have felt like people have kind of rolled with it. And I do, I think our customers are generally more privileged, have higher incomes, but they also, that's not all of them. And the ones who are not in that category, they they just really value our food over other food. So they're making that choice to purchase really good meat even if they're not purchasing very much of it. Right. If you look back, what were there any 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 decisions you made or anything you invested in that you would consider a real breakthrough as far as like getting to like a pretty well lubricated marketing model that that was like driving success? Yeah, I mean, I think we moved from using a Google Doc survey that was how we collected orders from like our 150 customers to Gray's Cart. And having an e-commerce site um, was definitely a game changer. And that was in 2017, so five years ago. And that doesn't seem like that long ago, but there was really no one selling meat that way. If you wanted farm-raised meat, you still you had to go to a farmer's market. And if you lived in Vernon, the only farmer's markets are midweek during the day. So most a lot of people can't get there ever. So... Yeah, I think that was our biggest breakthrough. And now there's quite a few other farms who are doing that, even locally. But we, I I don't see, yeah, I see the user-friendliness of our site as a really big um, asset. Okay, well, um, I want to say too that when I finally switched to paying for a marketing, like a a marketing software, it was a game changer for me. Uh, really quick, like roughly what does it cost a month for your system? So we are just being kicked off of our legacy plan that we like held onto with claws for several years. And so I think that it, I think it's, it's going to be costing $150 US a month. Okay. So it's not, yeah, that's, that's, that's a substantial cost, but like yeah. you said, this is And was up until now it's been $64 oh, okay. so it's a, a big month jump US. Too. It's a big jump. Yeah. And then in addition to that, actually, I guess in terms of the last couple of years, the biggest thing that we've done is move to a better, like a paid newsletter um, management software and, or software, I guess just server mm-hmm. service. I don't know. Anyways, they, um, so we've used Drip, mm-hmm. it's getdrip.com, I think is the website, and it integrates with our website, and that's just been pretty incredible. And that's another $39 US per month, but I really, up until that point, I wasn't using emails for marketing. Mm-hmm. You could sign up to get our newsletter and maybe not hear from me for like 
20 months. <laughs> so wait, are you about to say that paying for it has one side benefit is that it, it forces you to use it because you know you're paying for it? Uh, no, I think just the usability of it, I think is way better. It just, it has features that we were using MailChimp, just the free version of MailChimp before. And I probably didn't explore it to the degree that I should have, mm -hmm. but I switched over and did a better template and also it just has kind of email reminders and just there's just features it's the fact that it's integrated with our website is really important you can see the performance of emails you can see kind of click through and those integrations those analytics that we didn't have in the past yeah so i don't know like we're we're ahead of maybe the we're at the front of the bell curve, but we're still farmers. So it's like all of this is just old news to anyone in the e-commerce world. And mm -hmm. like not having your website integrated with Google Analytics is just like a crazy thing. But we never, we just didn't care or need to. And now that's one of the things where increasing our prices, we have to just accept that some people won't stick with it as we increase prices. Mm -hmm. And so we need to find people who are willing to support those prices. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's where the newsletter can, can come in. As you, yeah. The newsletter, but also those like analytics, um, mm -hmm. you know, using actual online advertising, which we've never done before, like using Google and Instagram ads, potentially. Um, I see other farms doing it, even from, you know, the Peace region advertising in the Okanagan that they're delivering here. And I think that if that's what you're looking for, it's effective to a consumer that it's, it makes it easy to find when you're online trying to find that product. Mm -hmm. But. Okay. So maybe one last question then I'm just wondering, because you, you referenced, you know, other farms a few minutes ago, other farms doing a version of what you do. Mm -hmm. If you look at farms that maybe haven't been doing it as long as you, or your perception is they're still working their systems out. Like as far as marketing goes, are there any other, mistakes you think any farms you see some farms making or suggestions you'd have for farms other than the the the, the benefits of the online sales system hmm. i i think that really communicating your story or what makes you different so i mean i think the foundation of that though is having knowing your principles and knowing what you stand for within your business and then being able to communicate those to your customer i don't think it's just a matter of like you know, tell the customers a story that they like to hear. It's um, to me, like why I feel good about our business is that I feel good about our business and then I can tell customers that story. Right. And so I do see people advertise where it's just like, buy this mm -hmm. and there's no why or product differentiation or, and I, I think that that is important. Like I think authenticity um, and driving home those principles or the yeah why is it important to support your local food system it's not that you're you have to harp on about it but i think it's important to talk okay and you do talk about it a lot and i'd say you're, you've been like successful you've already mentioned that the analytics of your newsletters can help you decide what is what communications are working i'm just wondering if there's any other uh other signs like how do you how do you get a sense have you ever had any kind of feedback that helps guide what kind of Instagram post is people want to read and what they don't, or has it been mostly so, well received? Yeah, I think um, that isn't quite right about the newsletters. So the newsletters, I can see 
um, whether people are opening them and then whether they're purchasing. Mm -hmm. I don't actually look at that compared with the content of the newsletter. Mm -hmm. So I don't really care. I mean, I do care, but but I, it doesn't determine what I'm going to write about in a newsletter. I'm really writing the news. Like whatever happened on the farm is the news in the mm -hmm. newsletter. Um, and just sending the newsletter does drive sales. And that's what I see other people doing. And I, I could be wrong, but I just think it's a mistake to not support your message of buy beef or buy pork with why it's important to support you as opposed to just going to the grocery store or. See, I, 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 I it's like, I know you're right. And yet, and I think I speak for a lot of farmers, it, it, it's, it can be a struggle because it involves a form of self-promotion, right? Like, or I don't like, I, I worry, I've always worried so much about preaching to people, mm -hmm. even though, even though I totally understand what you're saying. And I totally, there's like the part of me that's like that, that's a good, you're just, you're communicating what you do to the people who might find that as a motivation for purchasing yeah i mean it doesn't have to be about what you do is so great though like mm -hmm. the last few years my newsletters have been just like like i'm like the doomsayer you know it's just like bad news after bad news like it's like oh there's you know this is this is what happened in this like endless drought and then these floods interrupted this and now this is happening and you know food is selling out because of covid and you know it's just i I'm relating world events to the farm. I'm not necessarily, I definitely like to celebrate our successes. So when something looks amazing or when there's a bunch of cute animals around, for sure, there's going to be photos of that in, in there too. But, um, but like I said, I think the analytics say, if you send more emails, you're going to sell more products. Mm -hmm. But what I think is important and what I see people doing that I think is a mistake is just them saying like, here it is, rather than saying what it is. I've sent a lot of here it is. I, I can relate. I, and yeah, I'm, not, I'm not taking offense. I think you're No, I but I right. think, yeah. I think that it's, yeah, I don't know. I think that it's different too with meat. Because sometimes you can say here it is with a veggie and here it is a unique veggie that you won't actually find anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, a special kind of bean, for example. Whereas if you're saying, here it is, and it's a pound of ground beef, I don't know, <laughs> unless there's more info there. It's just a pound of ground beef. It's, it's just, just pinto beans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's it for part one of my conversations with Annalise and Steve from Fresh Valley Farms. Part two will be up in a week, and I hope you will check that out because Steve and Annalise both have really thought-provoking things to say about the word regenerative and how it has taken on steam in conversations about sustainable agriculture. Okay, that's it. I'd like to acknowledge the BC Ministry of Agriculture and Food for their funding of this episode, and I want to thank Matt Eckel for providing all of the music that you hear in these episodes. Okay, time to say goodbye. Goodbye.